Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Dr. Neil Eingar is a medical oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center whose practice focuses on people with breast cancer. His research is looking at the links between metabolic health and cancer, specifically looking at how diet, exercise, and medicines can prevent cancers tied to obesity, such as breast cancer, and improve outcomes for people with inflammation in fatty tissues. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Iyengar about intermittent fasting and why some people think it could be a tool for breast cancer prevention. Dr. Iyengar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So to start, just in case anyone isn't familiar, I know there's been a lot of news coverage of intermittent fasting, but could you just explain to us what it is and how it was developed? Like what was the rationale behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So intermittent fasting is a dietary modification technique um, that's unique in that it really prescribes timing parameters for eating rather than actually prescribing a food pattern. Uh, And so it it really delineates itself from other dietary approaches by not having that kind of structured macro or even micronutrient parameters uh, and really focusing on the timing. And it came from the philosophy and the realization that we are really surrounded by an obesogenic environment, meaning that food is always available to us and uh, it's easy to. Uh, access food for many people, but not always high quality food. And we'll we'll touch on that, I'm sure. Uh, but also that food uh, consumption has has gone on to involve multiple parameters, not just the need to supply our bodies with calories, but also emotional aspects, as well as as well as feeding, filling time, um, and other similar habits. And so I think that where intermittent fasting has really come from is this realization that we came from a place where food was not so readily available. Uh, and really food served the purpose of fulfilling our energy needs, our caloric needs, uh, and not much more than that. Based on that realization, the hypothesis arose uh, that if we can really time our caloric intake we may be able to get our bodies back to that original homeostasis that was uh, originally intended uh, to keep our energy balance uh, in check and avoid metabolic disorders like obesity, like diabetes, and like heart disease. Okay, so if I'm understanding you correctly, it doesn't really matter at all what a person eats. It's strictly when the person eats. I think in its, its most technical definition, that is correct. But I would say that um, most advocates of intermittent fasting um, will add on the caveats, of course, that one of the goals of intermittent fasting is weight control. And so, of course, we do need to be mindful of what we're eating uh, and how much we're eating. But yes, technically, uh, that is correct, that intermittent fasting does not prescribe a particular food pattern. Okay, so just as let people know it doesn't mean you can eat donuts for five hours a day and and call it good, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Now I have read about a couple different types 
of intermittent fasting strategies, um, basically it's a difference in the number of hours that people would either fast or eat. Is one of those strategies more popular or considered the standard? I just, I wasn't sure. Like some people advocate, say, an eight hour, what they call a feeding window. So when you eat, some people say it should be six, some people say five. So I just, is there a standard or does it depend on the person and the goals and what someone is advocating? That's such an important question because I think as the scientific community studies intermittent fasting as a tool, not just for weight loss, but for prevention of chronic diseases, we really need to be clear that intermittent fasting is an umbrella approach. Um, and it's really, uh, it really encompasses different methods, which could have dramatically different results depending on the endpoint that we're studying. There are some more popular approaches um, to intermittent fasting. Um, one of the one of the methods uh, or, or one of the driving philosophies for intermittent fa fasting is to keep it simple and to find an approach that fits with your lifestyle. So a very popular method is, is to pick certain days to fast. So for example, people, can, uh, people often pick a five and two ratio where uh, people will uh, eat normally for five days out of the week. Uh, but then eat very low calories, uh, usually somewhere where, somewhere between 500 to 800 calories uh, two days out of the week. There is also time-restricted uh, fasting or time-restricted eating, as you've mentioned. Um, I would say the popular approach in terms of time-restricted eating is to choose a, a 16 or a 14 to 16 hour fast. Uh, every day where folks are fasting for 14 to 16 hours per day and restricting their eating uh, to an 8 to 10 hour window. That's another very popular method. Um, there's another, there are a couple of other popular methods that are worth mentioning. Um, there are um, stop and go methods. So these are methods where you pick a 24 hour period, usually at least two 24 hour periods where you're fasting, whereas the rest of the days you're eating normally. That can also sometimes be interpreted as alternate day fasting, uh, where people will fast either for 24 hours or, or they will eat very few calories, typically in the low hundreds, uh, every other day. Um, and so those approaches are the most common. And the, the, the theme there is either you're picking a day to fast or you're picking a large chunk of hours to fast. Okay. And this originally it was looked at as weight loss. So how did it come about that people thought, well, maybe this could be a tool to prevent some of these diseases? Was it just because of the overweight being connected to the diseases or is there something else going on there? I think there are a couple of reasons why the appeal of intermittent fasting has poured over from just weight loss. Um, certainly, weight loss is a driving factor for studying this approach. Uh, we do know that that being overweight or obese does increase the risk of not just metabolic disorders like diabetes or heart disease, but it can also increase the risk of, of diseases like cancer. There are at least 13 different cancers that are associated with obesity. And so there has been a lot of research looking into weight loss techniques, either to prevent the development of these obesity-related cancers um, or to prevent a recurrence of an obesity-related cancer after diagnosis. So any successful weight loss strategy is certainly very attractive for, for study uh, in preventing uh, diseases. But there's more than that, of course. Part of what 
my team studies is how a chronic state of metabolic dysfunction can give rise to cancer cells. And we know that when your body is chronically bathed in high levels of insulin, high levels of glucose, high levels of inflammatory molecules that are common in metabolic disorders, these all provide the building blocks for the development and growth of, of cancer cells. So approaches that help to reduce that chronic exposure to uh, molecules that promote cancer growth, like insulin or like inflammatory molecules, are also very attractive. And in intermittent fasting may be a way to put our bodies in periods of metabolic equilibrium where those high levels of insulin have been brought down dramatically. Uh, so th that kind of equilibrium or energy balance is, is also very attractive and very important and a reason why this approach is being studied for disease prevention. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's a great segue into my next question. So what kind of research has been done so far? Like, What, what do we know scientifically about intermittent fasting? The, the research is, is um, pretty early in terms of prevention or risk reduction for, for cancer, but for metabolic disorders, there has been a lot of activity uh, and a lot of work that has been and is currently being done to look at intermittent fasting as a weight loss strategy and as a way to uh, improve diabetes or prevent diabetes. You know, the type of research that I, I would say we have the most data for uh, is for weight loss. But that, that data is conflicting, um, and we certainly need more data to tease out some of the studies which have shown very different results. And then when we start to get over to reducing the risk of metabolic disorders like diabetes uh, and then also chronic illnesses like cancer, most of that data comes from preclinical research or studies that have not been done in humans. And so there is a lot of work being done right now to try to translate some of that data from preclinical models uh, to human data. Okay. And when you say preclinical, are we talking cells and petri dishes? Are we talking mice? What are we looking at? Yeah, we're talking, at least in the cancer realm, we're talking mostly cells and petri dishes, but there are some, um, there are some in vivo studies in mice that have been done uh, as well. Um, but certainly very early stage. Okay. Now, are there any drawbacks to intermittent fasting? Um, especially, I'm thinking, you know, we have had some questions about it from our community. So say somebody's currently being treated for breast cancer. You know, is there a risk for somebody who hasn't been diagnosed with cancer? And are there any extra or special risks for somebody who's in treatment? So for someone who has not been diagnosed with breast cancer, I think that the the risks of intermittent fasting are, one, the interpretation of how to do the intermittent fasting, you know, and we touched upon this earlier. I think that it's important to keep in mind that with any dietary modification technique, in order to lose weight, it's a mathematical equation. And essentially, you need to be at a net energy negative. So take in less calories or expend more calories or a combination and so it's important to keep in mind, particularly with a diet like intermittent fasting, that not eating for a period of time, of course, doesn't give us a license to, to really gorge ourselves when we can eat. And the danger with intermittent fasting is people get hungry. Uh, you're not eating for long periods of time. And so to maintain that control when your body is 
um, secreting hormones that are telling you that you're hungry and you need to eat, that's a challenge. And the idea with intermittent fasting is that as we train our bodies, that that challenge becomes more and more surmountable. Uh, but that is a challenge. The danger for people who have been diagnosed with cancer is that we don't have enough data yet. Um, and we don't know from a quality of life perspective, but also from a cancer perspective, how the diet will impact people. We are optimistic that it could be a successful weight loss strategy for some people. And for some cancers like breast cancer, weight gain is very common during breast cancer treatment. Uh, and so a weight loss strategy like intermittent fasting may be helpful. However, there are periods where people are near starvation. Um, and if you're actively getting chemotherapy or if you're actively getting some kind of treatment that is associated with side effects, then putting your body in that state can make you uh, even more vulnerable potentially um, to those side effects. There are studies that are going on right now testing whether or not that's true. But until we have that data, I think we have to be very, very careful. And if somebody does want to try intermittent fasting, then my approach is to, is to try it either after treatment like chemotherapy or radiation has been completed. The danger there is if, if your side effects get worse, you might interrupt your treatment. You might not accomplish um, all of your treatment as originally set out. So either wait for that acute treatment to be completed or do it very, very closely under the supervision of a nutritionist, working closely with your nurse, with your doctor. Uh, and if these side effects start to get worse and the diet becomes more difficult to tolerate, then to consider switching to a different dietary modification approach. Okay, thank you. I'm curious too, in some of these studies, are they looking at the quality of the diet when people are eating? Because as, as we talked about earlier, it, it's not a license to just eat donuts all the time when you when you can eat. Um, I'm assuming people still have to be mindful of nutrients and making sure they're the right nutrients and the right combinations. That's right. Uh, a lot of the studies are looking at um, what people are eating, but it, it's challenging also because you want to tease out uh, what is the effect of the intermittent fasting strategy versus what is the effect of implementing a change in the types of foods that you're eating. So for example, if you are running a clinical trial where you're testing um, a, a plant-based diet, let's say, you may not prescribe certain times for eating that diet. And it's a very straightforward question. Is that type of diet helpful? Whereas if you're implementing an intermittent fasting intervention, that becomes challenging because if you start to tell people what they should eat, um, then you're really testing two interventions. You're testing the intermittent fasting timing intervention, and you're testing the type of food that people are eating. So then it becomes challenging to tease out which is it that actually led to the results that you're seeing. Uh, and so, you know, the answer to that is, again, let's go back to that energy balance equation. And remember that quality of food is indeed important. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it really matters how much uh, energy you're taking in and how much you're, ex you're expending. Okay, that's a great point, too. And for some of these dietary studies, I'll, I'll be very honest with you, not necessarily intermittent fasting, but sort of all dietary studies. I personally am skeptical because a lot of them 
rely on the people who are in the study accurately reporting what they ate. And I know a little bit about human nature. And part of me believes that if somebody, say, went way off the diet, they may not report how far off the diet they went because they want to please the researcher. They don't want to look like they failed. So I'm I'm always a little bit skeptical about dietary studies just for that reason. That's such a great point. Um, and that is exactly a major drawback of um, any type of lifestyle intervention, including dietary studies. You know, we and other groups are trying to do better and to control for that. So one of the things that we do in our dietary studies is, um, yes, we do rely on people to tell us what, what they're eating. We have also tried to implement tools that make it less burdensome. You imagine if you're a person who is enrolled on one of these studies um, and donating your time now to fill out a bunch of questionnaires and keeping track of what you're eating is a major commitment. So we're trying to use uh, technology and, and apps and photo journaling tools to help people take pictures of whatever they eat so that we can do the work on the back end and calculate their caloric intake. And perhaps even more exciting is that the scientific community is working on blood tests that help give us a sense mm -hmm. of what people are eating. So we can look at small molecules uh, and metabolites uh, in the blood to give us a sense of the type of diets and foods that people are consuming. Okay. Now, I'm not sure, so I'll ask you, have you ever recommended intermittent fasting to any of your patients? Or are you still kind of on the fence? Yeah, great question. So I have not recommended it yet. Um, and that goes back to the sense of we, we need two things. We need safety data in the cancer setting, and we need efficacy data in humans uh, in the cancer setting before I start recommending it. That being said, um, if I am working with somebody who is struggling to lose weight, um, we do explore a number of different options. We work, work closely with the nutritionist on our team. And uh, I usually start off with that concept of let's look at the overall energy balance uh, and see how we can put you at a slight net negative so that we can induce a healthy amount of weight loss that's sustainable over a longer period of time. Um, and if for that person, intermittent fasting is a more attractive approach, um, then that is something that I'm not going to shut out. We'll certainly, you know, consider it. Um, but I think, like I said earlier, we have to be, you know, very careful. And what I do point out to my patients, which I'd really like to emphasize here, is that there are preclinical data in mice to suggest that intermittent fasting may actually reduce the size, uh, help to reduce the size of breast cancer tumors, especially hormone receptor positive breast cancer tumors. There are also studies to suggest, again in mice, that intermittent fasting may help to prevent resistance to hormone therapy and other breast cancer therapies. So those are all very exciting findings. They just need to be validated uh, in humans. And you know, I, keep, I feel like I keep swinging back and forth like a pendulum, um, but I will say that there was one study in humans that was published last month with disappointing results where intermittent fasting time-restricted eating, fasting 14 to 16 hours a day compared to no dietary intervention wasn't associated with weight loss. There was no difference uh, between the two approaches. And so that I say all of that to say, 
it's a very quickly shifting landscape and we need to keep an eye on the data very closely. Okay. And it sounds like too, you touched on this, but I just kind of to summarize, if somebody was interested in trying this, it doesn't sound like you recommend that they would do it completely on their own, that they should probably talk to their doctor, talk to a nutritionist, get some advice on how to do it. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that it is an important conversation to have with your physician, particularly if you're undergoing cancer therapy. And it is important to talk about that also with a nutritionist because there may be some important tips there. For example, there are some foods that provide more satiety than others. And certainly with a diet like intermittent fasting, it helps to eat foods that make you feel full uh, so that you are equipped to fast. So little tips like that, not just for safety, but also for uh, setting you up or setting a person up for success can be really helpful. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Angar. I appreciate your time and your insights. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.